Good morning. Today we continue our study into the final countdown, beginning with Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 17. The title of our lesson today is called The Dragon Gets the Boot. The Dragon Gets the Boot. The chapter that we are studying here in Revelation is a chapter that's wrapped in conflict. In our last study, we witnessed war between the nation of Israel, which was symbolized by a pregnant woman, and Satan, who was symbolized by the great red dragon. As we read our text today, you may have noticed that these verses continue the image of conflict. In fact, verse 7 is quite a shock. So let's read from the Word of God. Starting with Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God night and day. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto their death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, and of the seal, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, when we read about a war in heaven, it kind of takes us by surprise. I don't usually think of heaven as a place where wars are fought. I don't think you do either. But if the Bible announced a war here on earth, we probably wouldn't be very shocked because our history has been a long history of bloody warfare. According to one statistician, there in about the 5,560 years of recorded human history, there have been some 14,565 wars. Many of history's conflicts were conflicts between two nations or two factions within a nation. But in World War II, war was taken to new and devastating heights. You know, by the time the war reached its peak, only 12 nations, 12 nations were not involved in the conflict on at least some level. 12 nations. In year 2000 alone, there were at least 40 armed conflicts being fought on the soil of 36 different nations. Our world is a world of warfare. You know, yet when we read of warfare in heaven, we are taken aback. This war will settle a conflict that has been raging since before there was a world. As we discover in our last study, Lucifer, who seems to have been the chief or one of the chiefs among God's angels, sinned against God. 
He led one-third of the angels of heaven away from God, one-third away from God in this rebellion, and he and they were removed from God's presence. Lucifer became Satan, and he has done everything in his power to disrupt the eternal plan of God to redeem his elect people and his ruined creation. Since that time, as we'll discover, Satan has had limited access to heaven. The chapter tells us about the final battle in this age-old war. In this battle, Satan, the great dragon, is forever cast out of heaven. While there are details here that are confusing, I ask you to pay careful attention because these verses are a blessing to the children of God. They tell us of a day when Satan will finally and eternally be cast out of heaven. Let's look at these verses and examine a few more of the participants of the tribulation period. I want to preach on the time when the dragon gets the boot. Let's look at the revealing of our dragon. There are several passages that talk about the devil, his origin, and his activities. You can find these in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12, 12 through 20. You can find them in 1 Peter 5, 8. These passages seem to reveal the devil far more clearly than any other passage in the Bible. So let's learn a little more about the dragon. Let's look at his names, starting with verse 9. A quick look at the names given to this creature reveals more about him than he wants people to know. First of all, let's look at dragon. What is a dragon? A dragon is a winged, mythical creature that resembles a serpent with four legs. Dragons are usually associated with fierceness, brutality, violence, and destruction. Superstitious people in the Dark Ages lived in fear of fire-breathing dragons. This image is very fitting for Satan. He's a violent character, bent on the total destruction of God and his creation. He is responsible for countless deaths and wars. Number two, he's called the Old Serpent. This immediately calls us back to the first appearance of Satan in the Bible, with Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter three, verse one. In that passage, Satan appears to Eve in the form of a serpent and entices her to commit sin. The image of a certain serpent is an image of something that is evil, contemptible, detestful, deceitful, underhanded, sly. What a perfect depiction of the devil! He spends his time attempting to deceive everyone he encounters. And finally, there's the devil. The word devil comes from the word diabolos. It refers to one who is a slanderer or a false accuser. It pictures him as a creature who stands before God, accusing the saints of God. This is just what the Bible says he does in Job 1 and 2. When he, we fail, he accuses us before the throne of God. He slanders our name, and he slanders our Savior too. Then there's the word Satan. This means adversary, or one who stands opposed. This is what Satan is all about. He opposes everything that has to do with God. He opposes everything God is trying to do. He opposes the people of God, the house of God, the word of God, and the plan of God. He stands in open opposition to everything that is decent, holy, and right. He is the adversary. Let's look at verses 9 through 10. Let's look at his nature. 
See, this passage not only reveals Satan through his names, but also through his nature. This passage reveals two most common activities of the devil. He is revealed by his earthly deceptions. We are told that it is he which deceiveth the whole earth. Here the word deceiveth means to seduce, to lead astray, to lead out of the right way. That is Satan's mission. When he appeared before the Lord in Job chapter 1 verse 7, chapter 2 verse 2, he was asked about his activities. He replied that he had come from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. He was on the prowl for souls to deceive. This is what Peter says about him in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. The word seeking in that verse means to crave, to reason, to plot. Satan is always plotting someone's fall. He craves the souls of men. He reasons out ways to turn people away from God and away from Christ. And he is very good at what he does. He can come into our midst and not even be recognized. Satan is a deceiver, and he has always been so. When he came to Eve in Eden, he was called subtle. That word means crafty and shrewd. Satan deceived Eve, and he has been deceiving people ever since. He will continue to weave his web of lies and half-truths until he is finally cast into the lake of fire. Satan is revealed by some heavenly declarations. Satan is described by the host of heaven as the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuses accuse them before our God day and night. Here the word accuser means to make an accusation. It speaks of a plaintiff who brings up another person on charges. That is Satan's business. It seems from Job chapter 1 verse 6 and chapter 2, verse 1, that Satan still has some limited access to the throne of God. When he appears there, he does so to condemn the saints of God. He did this to Job and to Joshua. He stands before God and points out our sins and our failures. He doesn't have to lie about us because we have enough failure and sin in our lives that he has a ready supply of accusations to make. Yet when he opens his mouth and declares his case, the saints of God have a man on the inside. We have a lawyer in heaven. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. The word advocate in 1 John 2, 2 means one who pleads another's cause before a judge. You see, Jesus Christ, our advocate, stands up to declare us just and justified. He pleads our case showing the nail prints in his hands and feet. He pleads the blood he shed on the cross as the perfect eternal payment for all our sins. The Father cries, case dismissed. Hallelujah. Let's look at the removal of the dragon. He is defeated by a heavenly warrior. We don't know who initiates this war in heaven, but we know who wins it. The angelic hosts of heaven are led in this conflict by an angel named Michael. His name means who is like God. He is a special angel. He is called an archangel in Jude chapter 1 verse 9 and in Dan Daniel chapter 10 verse 13 he is called one of the chief princes. In Daniel 12 1 he is called the great prince. Michael opposes the onslaught of Satan and his demonic army. 
He leads the heavenly angels in permanently ousting Satan and his demons from heaven. Verse 8 tells us, Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And verse 9 tells us that he and his angels were cast out into the earth. The words cast out mean to let go of a thing without caring where it falls. Satan is forever driven from heaven. I think that's pretty cool myself. (laughs) He's defeated by his holy witnesses. When Satan is cast out of heaven, the glory spills out of the cup and overflows the saucer. Heaven literally explodes in praise and thanksgiving. The tormentor, the accuser of the brethren, the archenemy of God, and the most feared and hated being in the universe has been forever expelled from heaven. So the citizens of heaven praise God and the Lamb for their power and glory in overcoming the devil. Then praise is rendered on behalf of the tribulation saints who were martyred for their faith. While Michael was able to expel him from heaven, these Christian martyrs are called overcomers as well. They use three weapons to defeat the devil. Number one, they use the blood of the lamb. They didn't fall for Satan's lies that religion would be good enough. They didn't fall for the lie that they were good enough. When they saw their condition, they turned to Jesus by faith, and they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Once they were hidden behind the fortress of the blood of Jesus, they were safe from all attacks by Satan against their souls. He might kill their bodies, but he could never touch their souls. They had been redeemed, and they, one day, had obtained eternal victory. Have you been washed in the blood? Have you? Have you been redeemed? Number two, they used the word of their testimony. In other words, they stuck to their guns. They would not renounce their faith in Jesus. The word testimony means to report. They claimed to be redeemed followers of Jesus, and they never backed down from that claim. Their steadfastness helped them achieve victory over Satan. He may have killed their bodies, but they did it with their testimonies fresh on their lips. His defeat was sealed with every death. Number three, they used their supreme love for Jesus. Even when they were threatened with death, they would not back down. They loved their Redeemer more than they loved their own lives. They would sooner die for him who died for them than deny him. They stood their ground and courageously faced a martyr's death, knowing that when life left the body here, it would continue forever in his blessed presence. Let's look at the rampage of the dragon. You see, Satan doesn't take being cast out of heaven very well. He now turns his wrath to the only place he can still operate, planet Earth. Then there's the first 12 talks about the fury of the dragon's attack. This pronounces a divine woe upon the inhabitants of the earth because they are about to feel the unfiltered fury of an angry devil. He knows that he only has a limited time before the eternal plan of the Lord is finished. He knows that he is facing certain judgment. Since he cannot vent his anger toward heaven and God any longer, he turns his hatred earthward 
and attacks the people living upon the earth. Let's look at verses 13 through 17 as we look at the focus of this dragon's attack. The primary object of Satan's wrath becomes the chosen people of God, the nation of Israel. As we saw in verses 1 through 6, Satan hates Israel and does everything in his power to destroy that nation. In these verses, we are given a few more details of that terrible time. We're told that Satan persecuted the woman. The word persecuted here means to chase or to pursue. It refers to a hostile pursuit. Satan goes after Israel with a vengeance. He pursues them with violent destruction on his mind. But we're told again that they're divinely protected. The image of the eagle's wings is symbolic of God's personal protection of his chosen people. Look at Exodus chapter 19 verse 4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. God brings Israel into a place of safety that he has prepared for them. There he will feed them and care for them for three and one half years. That's the 42 months. Satan will be prevented from totally destroying the nation of Israel. Verse 15 depicts the attacks of Satan being like a great flood of water. He will pull out all the stops and try everything at his disposal to destroy Israel. But even the earth gets involved. We're told in verse 16 that the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood. This may mean that some friendly nations of the earth, Gentile people, may reach out to Israel and take them in and give to their need during those dark days. Or it may mean that the earth will absorb the blows Satan intended for Israel. Whatever these images mean, one thing is clear. God has a plan for Israel and Satan will not thwart that plan. God is sovereign and he will do as he has said he will do concerning all things, especially the nation of Israel. God is not done with Israel. Verse 17 teaches us that there will be a faithful remnant of Israel during the dark days of the tribulation. There will be a multitude of Jews saved through the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish preachers and the two witnesses who will preach in Jerusalem. These redeemed Jews will embrace the Messiah and they will come back to the word of God. They will be persecuted for their faith, but a remnant will be saved. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 22. God will have the final say, and he says that Satan loses and God's people win. Hallelujah, praise God. You know, as I've studied and preached these messages, I've seen, studied, and preached some horrible things. Yet, every once in a while, every now and then, we're allowed to find a cause for rejoicing, even in this dark, mysterious book. You see, in this passage, we learn that the devil, that evil being who has fought against God, his plan, and his people for thousands of years will be defeated. We learn that the one who has accused us when we fail and has condemned us by name in heaven will one day be cast out of that city. We will learn later that his path will end up in the flame of the lake of fire. I'd say that any word that talks about the devil getting what is coming to him is a good word. We have had some leaders in the past that have been killed. Saddam Hussein was one. He was condemned to die in Iraq. 
Now, a lot of people were rejoicing about that verdict when it occurred. I don't find a cause for rejoicing in the death of another human being. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm big favor of the death penalty. I believe it should be administered more swiftly than it is. But I don't find pleasure in the death of anyone. But I do find pleasure in knowing their adversary is going to be cast out into hell someday. I praise the Lord for that. It's a reason to clear off a spot and shout. You know, there may be some people in the sound of my voice that have never been saved. Now, this is your day. You can come to Jesus and he will forgive you and save you. Others may just need to spend some time in prayer with the Lord. If you can, bow your head with me and let's pray. If you can't, you know my saying. You can keep, keep on driving because God has heard me many times behind the wheel of my car. You can pray anywhere you are and he will hear you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day today, O oh God. I thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. I thank you for your word, God, your word of God, so that it, that it speaks to our heart, Lord. It tells us about things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that will happen. Your prophecy, Lord, lasts for eternity. Father, I know there are some in the sound of my voice they have never accepted you, never accepted Jesus. Father, I pray that today, Father, today, speak to their heart. Speak to their heart, O oh God. Help them to see that without Jesus, they'll end up just like the devil, cast out into the lake of fire. Father, I ask you to touch their heart and let them come to you today. Father, there may be others out there that are saved, Lord, but they're not living for you. They're not helping others to forego this terrible judgment and terrible sentence of the lake of fire that the Satan is, 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 is falling into. Father, I ask you to touch them as well, God. Bless them. Help them understand that their mission is just as great as anything else on this earth because it is for you. Father, I sense there's some in the sound of my voice that are experiencing physical needs. Father, whatever their need is, whether it's medical, physical, emotional, Father, I ask you to minister to those needs. And Father, for the, the couple that I met in Kroger and White House yesterday, Father, Betty's struggling. Father, help her know that the things in her life were not her fault. And we pray that their son will come back to you. Father, we thank you, thank you for your son Jesus. What is in his name we pray. Amen. That concludes our lesson for today. <clears throat> if, uh, if anyone made a decision today, I would like to know about it. Please send an email to ministry at christ-lives.org or visit www.christ-lives.org and visit our contact page. If you'd like us to pray for you, please express that need. We'll consider it an honor to pray for you. If you would like a phone call, 
please include your contact information in there. I will call you back. Thank you so much for listening today as we share the Word of God. May God bless you and keep you. Amen.